it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hey there, it's the Planet Football Podcast on Monday, October 14th. Grant Wall here with my guy, Luis Miguel Echegaray. How you doing, man? How's your weekend? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm very good. Uh, you know, we have conflicted... Not me and you, but everybody in the world about international break. But there's so many good things to talk about. The best sport in the world. Let's do it, man. Yeah. Here's what we're going to be talking about during this podcast. We're going to talk about the U.S. men's national team, their game at Canada and the Nations League. Could be a trap game coming Tuesday night after the 7 nothing whitewashing of Cuba on Friday night with the Weston McKinney hat trick. We're going to get into... An idea to improve CONCACAF Nations League, I want to throw out uh, and see if that might be a, an improvement. Uh, we're going to get into U.S. Women's National Team coaching news. Vlatko Andonovsky, now the clear favorite after Laura Harvey says she's out of the running. Uh, we're going to talk about Mexico and Ball during the international break. We're going to talk about the MLS playoffs, which start this Saturday. Six games coming this weekend. We're going to talk about the NWSL playoffs two semifinals coming on Sunday. And then we're going to have a fun conversation on favorite soccer books, and we're going to talk a little bit about some soccer videos out there that we like besides the Diego Maradona one, which is amazing. Uh, We're going to get to a question about Tyler Adams, which I actually got Tyler Adams to respond to. So uh, all of that's happening in this podcast, but let's start with the U.S. men's national team and... There's not a lot to say about this 7 nothing win over Cuba. Cuba was overmatched. It was 6 nothing at halftime. McKenney with a first-half hat trick. But I do want to talk about uh, this Canada game and Canada being extremely motivated and really looking to get a result, if not a win, here in Toronto. Yeah. I mean, like you said, listen... There's not much to take away from the Cuba win. I do think, though, that, you know, had it just been 2 nothing, then obviously the conversation would be different. So it's an expected victory. Uh, and if anything, it, it you know, it just builds and grows confidence a- amongst a squad, a young squad that is, is still looking to, you know, uh, understand who they are and, and what they're going to do in terms of World Cup qualification, et cetera. So, yes. 
the Canada game, 1,000%. This is now, if you can say it from a CONCACAF perspective, the first test, you know, uh, in Nations League. And um, it's in Toronto, so, you know, it will be a hostile environment, you know, or at least playing away from home, because this is something that I've been talking about, the U.S. men's national team. I think that in order for them to really improve competitively as well, they need to play as many games as they can away from the United States. I think it, it really uh, will help them. Um, South American nations do it all the time. They, you know, unless it's, you know, a home game in Conmebol qualifications, they really try and do a lot of matches outside of their own country. Obviously, that's logistic reasons and, you know, infrastructure, et cetera, but it helps. It, it builds metal, right? It makes them stronger. And, and this Canada game, I think it's going to be really interesting. I mean, obviously, we know about the young Canadian squad, you know, players like Alfonso Davis, et cetera, who will really be testing this um, uh, American side. But I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, we'll see what Greg Berhalter has under his sleeve and, and how they will respond. A couple of things I would say is against Cuba, I liked the way that uh, the U.S. sort of had these synchronized patterns. And I get into this in my book in the realm of Juan Carlos Osorio's Mexican national team where he and Chicharito talked to me at length about they're not set plays necessarily, but like patterns that they work on, the team works on in training. And obviously you may have to have different options and depending on what the defense does, you may have to improvise, that's the sport. But um, I got the sense, especially with some of these diagonal long balls uh, from the back, that you know the US is, is working on that kind of stuff under Greg Burhalter and um, Jordan Morris being involved a fair amount as well. And so I, I think that's something to keep an eye on against better teams. Is the U.S. going to be able to do that against Canada the way they did against Cuba? Um, I, I would also say with Canada, this is a team that I don't think has beaten the U.S. since 1985. And so it's been a long time. They haven't been to a World Cup since 1986. Haven't been in the hex in World Cup qualifying for a long time. And they have a real shot to get there. And games like this help your ranking. And if you're one of the top six teams in CONCACAF, you're in the hex. So huge motivation here. Canada has often had good individual players, but the sum has always been less than the parts. And John Herdman, their coach, he used to coach their women's team. This is a big game for him to show that Canada actually is better than the sum of their parts now. They're not sort of falling back into those old problems. And it's a great opportunity. Josie Altador is not going to be able to play. Obviously, he's out hurt in front of his home fans uh, up in Toronto. And, and I do think there should be, uh, you know, a hostile environment. Yeah, absolutely. I, the other thing that I want to add, though, as well, is that something that's happened definitely in the last decade is with, you know, for lack of a better word, you know, these smaller nations from a soccer perspective, individual players are now flourishing more because they are being seen, their scouting networks of clubs are seeing them and are picking them and they're making them better. Obviously, Alfonso Davis is a Bayern Munich player, but, you know, also Jonathan David for Ghent, you know, um, this kid, um, Sulte Waregem, who plays on loan uh, from Besiktas in Belgium. Um, there are so many players for Canada that are now playing in bigger teams, so to speak, or away from the Canadian League, and they're improving. So when they get together from a national perspective, Herdman can now has you know a squad that he can really you know build on in terms of um, you know strategy. This happens 
in South America, or I mean, look at Venezuela, you know, Peru, uh, you know, these players, individual players, because of their club soccer, they're improving. And like you said, I think it's going to be um, a really good test for Berhalter, uh to really keep building upon, you know, his, you know, triangular soccer, his possession-based game against a stronger team than obviously Cuba was. Now, it might be interesting timing for me to propose how to make Nations League and CONCACAF better because there's every chance that the U.S. won't get three points up in in Canada. Correct. But in thinking about this, and I may write something up earlier this week, I was looking at the international calendar, and it's really a shame that CONMEBOL isn't part of the CONCACAF Nations League because having an America's Nations League would be similar to the UEFA Nations League because you would have just a, a bit more than 50 teams involved. Uh, there's 41 in CONCACAF, 10 in South America. And if you just look at the calendar, you could do it. You know, the South American teams are just playing friendlies right now. The whole idea of Nations League, whether it's UEFA or CONCACAF, is to find something better than friendlies. Now, for teams like the U.S. and Mexico in CONCACAF, you'd probably be better off playing a friendly at Italy or the Netherlands or wherever against a good team than you are playing 7 nothing home games against Cuba. But if, let's say you were to, and I'm not going to try and get in the weeds too much here, but if you were to take, you know, the Nations League separates is separated into different leagues, right? And so the U.S. is in a group of three in the, the top league of CONCACAF Nations League with Canada and Cuba. But if you took the, all 10 South American teams and put them with the top two ranked CONCACAF teams and had that be the top league, so that would be the U.S. and Mexico and every South American team, that could get really good because you'd be looking at a group of like... Brazil, USA, Venezuela, another group, Uruguay, Peru, Paraguay, another group, Colombia, Chile, Ecuador, another group, Argentina, Mexico, Bolivia. And that would be your top group. And those four games that you could play, as the U.S. is doing in this CONCACAF Nations League, would be a heck of a lot tougher, home and away, than the games the U.S. actually has right now. Yeah, I mean, I like it. And, and like, I would venture to say, like, divisions, right? You make a divisional, like, three divisions, so to speak, within the Nations League of the Americas. I like that a lot. And also, listen, remember, Venezuela is uh, playing, you know, Trinidad and Tobago today, right? Right. It's not uh, like they have a great game. Right, exactly. Um, you know, even though Brazil, um, you know, Brazil played Nigeria and Singapore this weekend which is like, <laughs> what? You know, they call it the world tour or whatever. Obviously, you know, the Brazilian Federation, you know, it's about, you know, making money and, you know, exposing the Brazilian team around the world. But if you make, and because the biggest reason why the UEFA Nations League has worked is exactly that. Everybody has been involved. There's been a sort of, uh, obviously, um, a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, a, a trophy to get or whatever. There's been an expectation of ranking, so to speak, and it has really livened up the the continent. And if you make it a complete union of the Americas for the same reason, then that could work. Because I don't think you are devaluing, you know, 
uh, South American competition. Like I just said, Venezuela played Trinidad and Tobago today. Like it's not, you know, and now when you add the incentive of a Nations League competitive environment, I think that can help. And all you need are six match days. It's not like you need a lot. You need the four in the fall like we have here, but then you need the two in early June and you could have those two match days be right before the Copa America as sort of the games that South American teams play before the Copa America starts. And by the way, nations in South America, like Paraguay, Chile, Ecuador, who are very much in transition right now, could benefit from this. Oh, yeah. Um, and the U.S. and Mexico would benefit. And all the smaller teams in CONCACAF would still benefit yeah. because they're in the lower... Uh, leagues in the nations, like the you know in the nations league, and I think Concacaf could convince Commonwealth you'll make more money on TV for this nations league than you will Brazil by going to play a friendly in Singapore. Yeah, and it's also a preview of uh, you know a future World Cup that we will see uh, in two thousand twenty six. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. So moving on to the U.S. women's national team, we have a favorite. We don't have a done deal yet, but Vladko Andonovsky is far and away the most likely person to be the next U.S. women's national team coach after Laura Harvey has said that she is out of the running. She said this publicly this weekend. And Talk to me about... Yeah, who is this guy? Yeah, let, exp, <laughs> let's talk to me about and talk to our audience about Vladko Andonovsky, who is this person? I love him because my background is indoor soccer in Kansas City. That's where I started. <laughs> that is the nichest of the nichest audiences ever. <laughs> I started as a Kansas City Comets fan in 1981-82. You and the other guy. And <laughs> no, man, like we filled Kemper Arena in Kansas City. I swear to you, it was a great Great atmosphere. I love it. we got to relive that stuff. You know, anyway, the, okay, a, so talk to me about Vladko Andonovsky. So Vladko Andonovsky, former player for the Kansas City Comets indoor team, former coach of the Kansas City Comets indoor team, which still exists, um, and while he was coaching the Kansas City Comets a few years ago, became the coach of FC Kansas City in the NWSL, the women's team. So I don't know how you coach two professional teams at the same time, but he did it pretty well because they won two NWSL titles and he got a name for himself as a good coach, not just in the men's indoor game, but in the women's game. And he moved when FC Kansas City folded. He took over in the Seattle Tacoma area for Rain FC and uh, has got them in the playoffs that start this Sunday, which we'll talk about later. And his coach, you know, obviously some of the best 
players for the U.S. women's national team over the years, whether in Kansas City, that was Becky Sauerbrunn or Lauren Holiday, um, Amy Rodriguez, and now in Seattle, uh, Megan Rapino, Ali Long, uh, players like that. And so we've talked a little bit before about how we fully expect that Megan Rapino has some power, at least in exerting you know, she's got to let people know who she would prefer to have. And, that- and she won't be alone in that. You know, Megan Rapinoe herself, of course, can have a lot of influence, but this team in itself. Obviously, oh, yeah. yeah. So that is, you know, Vlako uh, uh originally born in the former Yugoslavia, came to the U.S. Um, but uh, we're going to learn even more about him, obviously, mm. as we get closer to this. And it, it's not a done deal yet. We're recording this at... 11 a.m. Eastern on Monday, and U.S. Soccer told me that this BBC report today that Andonovsky will be the, the next coach is premature, that it hasn't been confirmed yet, and they haven't made, even made their choice yet. But all signs are pointing to him. So here's my question, uh, which is actually originated from Caitlin Murray. She was tweeting earlier today, uh, and she brings a good point. Now, this is not um, something truly unique because it happens in the men's game as well, but... Uh, what do you th- what would you think about that? Because he has zero international experience, right? Not even as an assistant. Um, Caitlin Murray, by the way, uh, brought it up uh, earlier on Twitter today, and I thought I thought it was a good question. Not to say that obviously, like I said, in the men's game, plenty of managers that haven't had international experience, you know, they have to start somewhere, right? And they become national team managers. W- what do you say if he was to take over the best team? possibly, I would say, ever, right? And, and how to manage it. Uh, what would you say to that? I would say that he has managed a lot of the players already and they mm-hmm. have relationships with him. I think club management is tougher than national team management. Uh, so I, I'd much rather have a club manager moving to the national team. Now, one thing he hasn't dealt with as much is media glare and you know, and, and hard questions and... Um, you know, and if the U.S. women's national team has a rough game, people get angry in a way that doesn't always happen as much with an NWSL team. So um, we'll see how he responds to that. I, I pers- And let's not forget that he would be, t- this is all obviously conjecture, but let's not forget that if he was to take over, he isn't, he's, he's picking up from the highest of the heights and expectations will be high, uh, you know as soon as that, you know, campaign takes over. The other thing is the last male coach mm-hmm. of the U.S. women's national team basically got run out of town by the players. That was Tom Sermani. And I don't think that's necessarily going to happen again just because it's a guy. And I think the U.S. women's national team players, the veterans, already have a relationship with him. And I th- I know that Kate Markgraf, who's, in charge of the hiring process has spoken to all the veterans on the US women's team to get their thoughts. So I think there are more stakeholders in this. And Mark Graff's smart. She's a former player. I don't think she, I don't think we're gonna see a situation where the players try and run out Andonovsky, especially if they feel like they're involved in this selection process. Well it'll be interesting to see what happens in the days, weeks to come for sure. Indeed. Um, let's talk a little bit about Mexico and about some of the comma ball results from the last week. What stood out to you? 
Yeah, just a quick roundup. Um, you know, I think that it's important to just uh, discuss the U.S. men's national teams, uh, you know, with all due respect to Canada, biggest opponent in CONCACAF, which is Mexico, obviously. Uh, right after that game, they played Bermuda. They won 5-1, and many things that we talked about in the podcast prior to that match happened. JJ Macias scored a brace. Uh, Chucky Lozano uh, assisted one, scored one. Hector Herrera's goal was ridiculous. There were some bangers in this one. Uh, Bermuda fought, but, you know, the Mexican team is just too good. So it was pretty much what you expected. And... You know, I think that it's important for Mexico to develop beyond Chicharito and know what you have above Raul Jimenez. And that's exactly what we saw. JJ Macias is a player. And it's going to be interesting to see how he develops with this Mexican team. But it was, you know, uh, back to business for Mexico. I think that they used the 7 nothing win from the U.S. men's national team as motivation for sure. For those of you who aren't Spanish speakers, JJ just means JJ. <laughs> <laughs> This is the other reason why Grant is uh, hired. He's my translator as well. <laughs> and now, well, and the thing is, just like the U.S. has Canada, Mexico now has Panama, yeah. and that's going to be again, like we discussed. This is now another match where they, you know, it's going to be a tougher test, and you know, uh, just another chance for Tata Martino to see how the Concacaf, you know, outlook. We'll, we'll see for, for, for L3. By the way, Panama, if you've looked at the rankings recently, nowhere close to being in the top six to make the hexagonal mm. uh, this time. And, and that's a problem for them. And we've gotten used to seeing them uh, in in the hex. Um, one of my favorite away trips in, uh, in CONCACAF, by the way, they have great ceviche in the stadium that you would actually be okay eating and wanting more of. I was just going to say, my friend, because you're telling that to a Peruvian. When you say it's great <laughs> ceviche... I've never had ceviche at a stadium before, and it was awesome. <laughs> That's literally what I asked Jorge Mas uh, into Miami. Is like, when you build a stadium, you better have like ceviche food trucks, I'm telling you right now. Um, yeah, listen, Panama is going through a transition as well. You know, yeah. the, high, the highest of the heights was obviously the last World Cup, and now they're trying to re-identify themselves. Something very quick on South American teams. Uh, you know, uh, there's not much you can take from this. They don't really play a significant match until next March. So it's really all just friendlies, but there are teams that are still developing. The big news was that, you know, when Brazil was playing uh, Nigeria, Neymar came out after 12 minutes, felt something in his left thigh, uh, you know, obviously pointing to the hamstring. So it's just another injury concern for Neymar, who's had one of the worst years I can think for any male player ever. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, and Brazil hasn't really done anything since winning Copa America. It's really struggled. They lost to Peru after that game in the friendly, tied with Nigeria in this one. Uh, Coach uh, Chiche is really finding it difficult to motivate this squad. And I think a lot of it has to do with what we were talking about in terms of combining the Nations League. They just keep traveling everywhere and anywhere and playing in like the stadium in Singapore was not even full. Um, so it, I think it's important for uh, Brazil to really pick it up. Argentina, uh, without Lionel Messi, without Sergio Aguero, without Angel Di Maria, destroyed Ecuador. Um, That's what I gave against Germany. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you <laughs> <Not> know, so <laughs> which was a nice motivation after the Germany uh, game. But you know, they they did uh, they tied it at the end, right? It was a three three result, I think. They came back to tie it, uh, and then uh, you know. 
I think Alexis Sanchez also suffered an injury for Chile. So again, an injury concern for him. But back to business as usual, nothing really will come significant until March uh, next year. Should have joined the Nations League. <laughs> so we've got a few more things we're going to talk about here in this podcast. Later on, it's uh, favorite soccer books and some recommendations on good soccer videos that are out right now. But let's look at ahead to playoffs in the MLS and the NWSL. And we've got six MLS playoff games this weekend under the new format. Every game is an elimination game for the first time. Ooh, baby. And... Desperation soccer is fun soccer, I think. Uh, And for each one of these, I just want to talk a little bit about maybe some things to keep in mind, uh, get a little bit into the season series, how they uh, performed against each other, um, and also maybe make our picks. And I've been trying to figure out, there's going to be a couple of away teams that win, and I'm just trying to figure out which ones those are going to be. Yeah, I think I'm going to wait until both of us talk about the matches, and then I think I'll have a better picture, because it's really interesting, this playoff picture right now. Um, And and like you said, I think the the one-match playoff format is, is really exciting. Well, we've got four playoff games on Saturday, two on Sunday, None of them are overlapping, so you can watch all of them if you want. I'm a little disappointed that they scheduled the first game on Sunday at the same time as the NWSL playoff doubleheader. Not cool MLS, because they didn't have to do that. Um, Yeah, they did not need to do that. But um, Atlanta-New England is the first game on Saturday. This is a uh, season series sweep by Atlanta. They won both times when they played, including at the end of the season, uh, regular season, 3-1. to uh, Miles Robinson uh, picked up an injury in the U.S. national team camp. That could have an impact here. We're going to be interviewing a New England player later this week on our video show, Carlos Hill. Yep, Carlos Hill. And uh, what do you think about this? Okay, Atlanta, New England. This one's an interesting one. You just mentioned Miles Robinson. That's big. That's a big loss. Um you know, especially at the back, somewhere where Atlanta United has really needed to step up uh, since uh, Deborah came in to manage the squad. I think it's all about the mental lapses for Atlanta United during the regular season that they need to get rid of in the playoffs. If Atlanta United is to once again reach MLS Cup, defend this cup under the new manager, they need to make sure that they solve their mental lapses. One of the biggest issues for Atlanta United during the regular season was the fact that when they conceded first, um, it was it ended badly for them. Um, because uh, you know the team was 0-9 and 1 when the opponent scored first in the regular season. So they cannot allow that. And I think that that says a lot. I think in Atata Martino, Atlanta United, it was, okay, there's goal first. Well, they'll, they'll find a way, kind of like a Manchester United in the 90s and just get it done. It's not the case with the Boers Atlanta United in the regular season. So to me, it's about figuring that out. Piti Martinez needs to, obviously, he's not the only one, but, you know, we'll see what he's made of. And, and new, for New England, you know, they're coming back to the playoffs since 2015. Bruce Arena, you know, Pushed them all the way up there. Three key players for me. We talked about Carlos Hill, ex-Aston Villa player, a great player for them. Gustavo Bow as well. And Matt Turner, their goalkeeper. They're all three are key players that are going to help them. So um, do we say the picks now or do you want me to tell you? Uh, as, I'm pick, talking, as I'm talking right now, I'm going to stick just because home advantage in MLS is so important. I'm going with Atlanta United, but not 
Not by much. I don't think it's going to be as easy a victory as people are thinking. I do like Atlanta in this game in the end, but Bruce Arena is the most successful postseason coach in MLS history for a reason. Frank DeBoer hasn't coached in the MLS playoffs before. So I think there is an edge on the on the sideline for New England here, but I just don't see enough other advantages. Uh, I like Atlanta here. Mercedes-Benz Stadium will just be rocking, I think, uh, Atlanta too. So Seattle-Dallas is game two on Saturday uh, in this season series, Dallas won two to one at home. Uh, there was a zero zero tie in Seattle. Um, Seattle's the second seed, though. Dallas the seventh seed. What are you thinking here? Um, Seattle Sounders, just like you were talking about Bruce Arena and his experience in the postseason in MLS, the same can be said about this Sounders team where like six players on the roster are the same ones that when they won it in 2016. Nicolas Lodeiro, Stephen Fry, Roldan, Jordan Morant, Roman Torres, uh, Jervin Jones, you know, they all know what it's like to, to reach the end. But now they have, you know, Raul Rudias, if he picks it up, a tremendous target man, um, that helps them. And at the back as well, uh, Kim Kee-hee, I think, has done enough uh, to solidify that Seattle defense. And where was this Dallas all season in the last game? They, at, the they, city. they <laughs> went off. And I think Dallas fans are saying, like, where were you all this season? We wanted this. Uh, again, I know it's going to be a, rep a repetitive comment, but home advantage is he key here. Uh, but I think that Seattle has enough to overcome it. Uh, we'll see if Sedanay uh, the Cobra on Drasek scores just like he did against England. Um, but no, I see I see this Seattle Sounders team too experienced, too talented, too comfortable at home to to not beat a Dallas team that just just made it into the postseason. Yeah, I like Seattle in this game. I thought the end of the season pretty well. Um, another home field advantage there, um, and in Dallas, except for that Kansas City game, wasn't great. Mm. down the stretch so uh, i'm gonna go seattle uh the third game is going to be on saturday toronto dc united up in toronto uh this season series two ties zero zero up in toronto one one in dc um could be wayne rooney's last game uh in in mls if obviously it will be if they lose uh josie altador an injury concern uh, obviously not with the U.S. men's national team. Will he be available to play in this game up in Toronto? Uh, but Toronto, pretty good down the stretch. Looking more like the Toronto from a couple years ago. And we know the atmosphere at this stadium in the postseason, right? This is a tough one. And I actually, from the results that you just talked about in the regular season, I see the same thing happening here where it's going to go all the way to the end, I think. And it might even be... Uh, a penalty shootout here, I think. Um, I, I just don't see enough. I think, here's the thing about DC United. Um, as as good as they have been defensively, man, do they struggle offense. I mean, Rooney's coming back. Obviously, he didn't play in that last game where they couldn't beat Cincinnati. Nine-man Cincinnati. <laughs> Incredible. For more than half the game. So, and I think also the Wayne Rooney factor will be big, like you said. Uh, could be his last game for DC United uh, if, obviously, they don't win. But then you start thinking, man, no Josie Altador, but Pozuelo's a very good player that, you know, obviously wants to make a marker for himself as well. Being at home, this is hard. It's going to penalties, and uh, I think uh, I'll have to go with home team again. Yep. I'm going to say Toronto in this one. Uh, I don't think D.C. Was, was too good down the stretch or even the second half of the season. 
Um, I'm actually surprised they ended up getting into the playoffs based yeah. on how they were playing for a while. Um, I think Rooney actually is one of these guys who is kind of built for playoff soccer in a weird way. He, he He's never really played much of it, but he's, he's a big game player. Um, and so I hope... We haven't mentioned Colleen Rooney. I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say he's going to use the fire from what's happened with Colleen Rooney uh, oh, because all shit. the attention has obviously gone there. But oh my God, if you guys watched Planet Football TV, we, we did dive into this deeply. What uh, if Wayne Rooney scores a goal? Is he going to have like uh, an Instagram goal celebration that he could do? I'm trying to. Well, I don't know if Jamie Vardy will have something to say about that. But <laughs> uh, listen, by the way, this is a big game for uh, Paul Arriola as well, I think, uh, you know. Uh, it, it's been uh, a tough year for him, right? Uh, He's lost uh, two relatives, yeah, uh, which is obviously a, a lot to deal with. Um, but um, moving on here, we've got the last game of the day on Saturday, Rail Salt Lake hosting the Portland Timbers. Here's another interesting one. Uh, Portland swept the season series. So even though Portland is the lower seed in this, they actually have swept Salt Lake this season. Uh, Portland won two to one in Salt Lake, and then one nil at home against Real Salt Lake. Could be Nick Ramondo's last game. Um, crazy situation, kind of at the top of Real Salt Lake in recent weeks, months, uh, with Mike Pecky leaving, uh, and yet, um, you know, you know, Craig Weibel's on his way out too now, uh, and yet they've gotten into the playoffs and they got a home game even in the playoffs. And yet I'm going to pick the away team in this one, Portland. I'm with you. It's the first one where I'm going on the away side. I think, uh, listen, defensively, um, they were third in goals allowed this year, right? Only LAFC and DC United allowed fewer than them, but they don't score goals. They struggle. And, you know, Dyden, Mr. October Aspria comes into town. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I I'm with you. I think the uh, the answer is in the regular season and what Portland did. Uh and I think Portland has too much firepower to not um to not win this one. By the way, Brian Fernandez uh in the substance abuse program, so he will not be involved in this game. Potentially could be later in the playoffs if they advance. Um so another thing Adama Diamande from LAFC has been involved in as well. Mm, yeah. Um so let's go to Sunday. Uh, Philadelphia hosting the New York Red Bulls. Um, Philadelphia won the first game of this season, three to two against the Red Bulls. Red Bulls won two to nothing here in Gotham. Um, this could be a tight one, I feel like. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and Philadelphia's overall had a, an impressive season when you look at outperforming expectations. Players like Ilsenio, who's just really fun to watch, really underrated MLS player. Um, and, you know, like veterans like Bedoya and, and how do you pronounce the Polish dude's name? Przybylko. Okay. <laughs> I, and I'm wrong, <laughs> I think. <laughs> He's great. Uh, apologies. And please send us, how, send us an audio message on how to uh, say his name. Uh <laughs> Casper Prisbilko, is that it? Oh, I'm so bad at this. Yeah, I know. Um, I'm so sorry. Taylor but, Twelman maybe can help us out. And, and the Red Bulls, to be honest, uh, underwhelming this year. They're having an away game here in the first game of the playoffs. Um, you know, booze for Chris Armas at the end of games not very long ago. 
uh, here. Bradley Wright Phillips has been in and out all season long. Um, it would kind of fit with the vibe of their season to go out in this first playoff game. Yeah. Um, listen, the Union are seeking their first ever MLS playoff win. True. Um, so I think that's going to be a big motivation. Um, and I think, uh, a, you know, Alejandro Bedoya and Prisbilka should be ready to go for this game as well. Uh, you mentioned Osinio, I think Marco Fabian, obviously, too. You know, they have a lot of firepower being at home. And the Red Bulls finished on a 2-4-1 skid to end the season. Like you said, Chris Armas is not a popular man at the end of the season. Bradley Wright Phillips has really been more used as a sub right now. Um, but he has said this is the best way Red Bulls can enter a playoffs, you know, the underdogs. But I think it's it used to be the case before, but you knew that they still had fire in them. I don't know if they have enough to overcome a union who will be extremely motivated to win at home. And I see a home win here too. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. You know, we talk a lot about Bob Bradley and Jesse Marsh these days, but both these coaches are on the Bob Bradley coaching tree. Mm. Jim Curtin and Jess, or, and uh, uh, Chris Armas both played for Bob Bradley on some great Chicago Fire teams together and may have sort of different styles, but uh, Jim Curtin deserves a, a ton of credit for, I don't know how many people thought he, like maybe two or three years ago, that he'd still be here as the coach of the Philadelphia Union. And not only is he still here, but he's got a team in the top half of the seeds hosting a playoff. Oh, contender for manager of the season, for yeah. sure. Uh, last game is maybe the most intriguing one to me of this first weekend of the MLS playoffs. Minnesota hosts LA Galaxy in that fantastic new stadium up in St. Paul. Zlatan Ibrahimovic going on the road in his first MLS playoff game. Winner takes on LAFC, so there's an El Trafico possibility here. Uh, season series, Galaxy 3-2 at home against Minnesota, and then a 0-0 tie up in Minnesota after that. Um, Galaxy looked terrible in the last regular season game against Houston, which was already eliminated, but uh, just terrible defensively uh, from the Galaxy. Uh, you get the sense they're going to score goals. Uh, you know Zlatan's going to be involved in a big game here. You want to see how he operates, but... Uh, I'm certainly not ready to to write off Minnesota as the home team. I have them winning this. Oh, you um, do? Yeah, I do. I have them winning this. Wow. I think. Um, I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. Mm-hmm. I think Slatten will get at least a brace, but I think Minnesota has enough to, to go through. I am worried of, about a few things, though. They have a lot of players that went away on international duty, so mm-hmm. it's all about hoping that, you know, as we speak on this Monday morning, that they come back healthy. You mentioned the stadium. Obviously, it's going to be rocking. But here's a nice little fact for you. St. John's College football team plays St. Thomas the day before at Alliance Field. So the field... Weird. I know. Um, So it should be interesting how the field looks. But I just think that 
as good as the Galaxy are with Slatan and how many goals they can score, and uh, Pavon obviously being a great addition to this team, I still worry about them defensively. And the last two regular season matches showed exactly that. I mean, losing 4-2 to Houston Dynamo and eliminated already Houston Dynamo in the last match was crazy. Um, I think the Galaxy will score goals, but I just I don't think they'll score more goals than Minnesota in this one. It's going to be a high-scoring game, home, home team win. I'm going to go with L.A. in this one. Oh, yes. And I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. It's going to be a shootout. And I think we're going to see some Zlatan dramatics in 3-2, 4-3, 4-2, something like that. Um, And so I have two away teams winning of these six games. I have Portland winning at Salt Lake and L.A. Galaxy winning at Minnesota. You've got one, right? Yeah. Yeah, I went with the save option. Uh, I could be wrong about the last one, but um, it's just, I don't know. I just can't. That, that, I mean, that game's going to be great, uh, but, the, but I'm going with Minnesota. The other question I've got is, because we're in the international break and big games are happening in the very first game, you know how this works in Europe when they call it the FIFA flu, like Barcelona over the years has had some inexplicable losses in the first game back mm. from international break just because they lose so many guys and then they come back and underperform. Could we see that in this first weekend of the MLS playoffs? Definitely. Definitely. I mean, we just talked about Minnesota, like so many players that are coming back after inter- it's it's very difficult to uh you know, not impossible, but it's very difficult to once again sort of w- create this cohesion, you know, for a team days after players have had to do something else for a while, but uh, it's even harder in MLS because, you know, if you're a team that's dependent on a lot of internationals, um, you know, what do you do when you're preparing for a postseason match? Um, I, and like you said, you know, there is this, you know, this this FIFA flu situation where major teams can lose right after an international break. I think it's 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 really harder when it's, it's, this is a key game. It's not just a regular season match. This is a playoff, you know, win or go home situation. So we'll see what happens Uh uh, but again, um, I- I'm going with the home team apart from one in this one. Okay. So let's move on to NWSL playoffs. Uh, much smaller playoff field. Four teams make the playoffs in the NWSL. We've got North Carolina up against Rain FC and Chicago against Portland. Uh, let's start with North Carolina, Rain FC. North Carolina, the defending champion. Uh, they played each other three times this year, and North Carolina won twice, including the last two times at home. This will be taking place in Cary, North Carolina. And North Carolina really did establish itself down the stretch as the elite team in this league. This is the team to beat, for sure. Uh, you know, Lynn Williams, Dabinia, like they're, they're, they have some talent. And then Casey Murphy stepped up nicely to join the team. And like, this is a really good squad. And being at home, I just I don't see the rain doing enough to beat a very very strong North Carolina. Uh, I see them winning this one. It's good to see Megan Rapino back on the field. By right, the way, right. playing uh, for her club, uh, Rain FC. Obviously, we mentioned uh, Vlad Andonovsky's the coach. Uh, Ali Long also on this team, and. Uh, this is where the final will be. So obviously some big motivation for North Carolina um, to be able to play in another final, but this one on their home field. By the way, the 
two NWSL playoff semifinals are on Sunday, starting at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, back-to-back on ESPN2. So it's good to see uh, a major carrier uh, that's going to be broadcasting these games because they've gotten pretty good ratings on ESPN2 this year. And these are obviously premier games. It's a bummer that they're going on at the same time as an MLS playoff game. Uh, Chicago-Portland is... The other semifinal, Chicago hosting. And they've played some interesting games this year. The first one in Chicago, 4-4 earlier this year. And then Portland actually won the next two games at home 3 to nothing. So lots of goals when these teams have played each other this season. Um, but Chicago has yet to beat Portland, even though Chicago, in three games, even though Chicago is the higher seat. Interesting, the Achilles heel. I mean, this is Chicago's... Uh Best regular season finish in, since 2015 when they ended second to we had Sam Kerr on the show. We know, you know, 18 goals in 21 matches. Uh, Yuki Nagasato, who had eight assists uh, while playing every game. I mean, this is a great team, but it's interesting that, you know, Portland is the one that they just can't can't get over. Uh, and the Thorns, they didn't have a bad season, uh, but they did close it with one win in five matches. Uh, including a, a 0-0 tie against the Spirit. Um, still, the team has a nine-goal season from, you know, Christine Sinclair, who's, like, you know, obviously a goal threat. Legend. Yeah, and I, you would imagine that she will, will get a goal in this one as well. But, I mean, this is like the game of attackers, right? Sam Kerr against Christine Sinclair. There'll be a, it'll, be, it'll be a high-scoring game. Uh, but now that, you, I didn't, now that you mentioned that Portland... Uh, has been the the successor, the the better team when these two face. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. I'm trying to figure out. Christine Sinclair is such a legend. I'm going to go with Portland. Oh, wow. (laughs) Wow. I'm going to say Chicago in this one. I'm going to say Chicago in this one. Sam Kerr, far and away the Golden Boot winner in the league. She's the form striker in the world for a while now. She's so good. Um, And... I, I'd like to see her get more recognition and more due. Maybe she'll finally get a big paycheck next uh, next season if some of these offers are uh, accurate that are supposedly coming in from European teams. But uh, we had a fun interview with her on Planet Football yeah, TV a couple weeks out. ago. Also, the Red Stars, you know, they, they had a bye for the final weekend, so they're nicely rested. So that, that can also be a factor. By the way, when I mentioned about Casey Murphy, I was talking about the rain the Reigns goalkeeper who came in and man has done a good job. Uh, I didn't want anybody to be who's those who are not familiar with NWSL. I didn't want them to think that I was talking about a North Carolina keeper. So let's finish up here uh, with a fun topic. I think favorite soccer books. Woo! And we people could, still read, right? I think so. I hope so. <laughs> we could devote obviously an entire episode to this topic, but we're not going to quite do that here. But um, what are a few of your favorite soccer books. I think we have a few similar ones, obviously. Um, Inverting the Pyramid by yeah. Jonathan Wilson, our colleague, Jonathan Wilson. I remember when I first started here and I was editing some of his pieces, every time he would uh, send me the piece for me to edit, I would write back going, by the way, I'm the biggest Inverting the Pyramid <laughs> fan. And if you know anything about Jonathan Wilson, uh, he's a man of not many words, unless he's writing. So he was just, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Jonathan. Uh, but Inverting the Pyramid, Eduardo Galeano's El Fútbol, uh, A Sol y Sombra, uh, Soccer and Sun and Shadow is such a beautiful book. Sonal Marking by Michael Cox as well. Uh, those would, would be some of the books that I love. But um, 
If you haven't read any of them, please do so. Uh, especially uh, Galliano's book. It's just it's it's a piece of poetry. It's 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 beautiful. It was one of the bigger honors of my career that for the U.S. edition of uh, Football and Sun and Shadow, um, the Galliano book, that they had my blurb on the cover. Incredible. Yeah, that, I was that, like, I don't, I don't really deserve that to that, be on the same cover as as Galliano. Absolutely amazing! Um, oh, what a book! But also, too, I mean, I, it's an interesting pick uh, selection, I guess, here that I, I find you having because you have two books that are basically about tactics. Yeah, um, I yeah, inverting the pyramid and um, the other one, uh, sonal marking. Sonal marking. Um, yeah, I was a coach for many years. For those that yeah. don't know, like high school coach, uh, I played in college as well. But like co coaching was, I loved it. I love it uh, so much. And, you know, I, I would read and read over the summer so many books over formations and tactics. And I'm, I'm a, I, I, even though I don't write about it that much and there are far better people than me to talk about tactics, I love to discuss the breakdown of not just strategy and tactics and formation, but the history of it. And that's what Inverting the Pyramid is. It, it really just gives you this beautiful uh, sort of... History uh, of tactics. History of tactics, right. And and Sonal Marking is, uh, you know, again, a, a book about uh, the same thing. And I, I love it. I'm obsessed with it. If I was going to pick a, a few books, I yeah, would what about say you? Fever Pitch, oh, the man, classic by Nick Hornby, which I actually remember reading during the 1998 Men's World Cup in France. Um, I would read that on the train as I was going around. Just such a fantastic book about his Arsenal fandom. and The movie where Colin Firth starred as well. And it Americanized itself with Red Jimmy Sox. Fallon and oh. the Red Sox. Oh, my yeah. goodness. What are you doing? But, um, yeah, and that, that book, Fever Pitch, is also just about in, in a way, it's about like you know guys, uh, mm. in a sense, or at least um, a type of attachment that guys tend to have more than women to things like Arsenal Football Club. Not like it's just men, but still. Um, and then um, Among the Thugs, which was a book by Bill Buford, uh, who became a New Yorker editor for a long time, but um, it was done in the late '80s, early '90s about he literally traveled with English hooligans into Europe, spent a lot of time with them in England. Thankfully, that's more in the past now in terms of how bad the hooliganism problem was, but it really gave you a window onto that culture. Um, wow, I've never, I wanna read that one. Yeah, Bill Buford's really good. He's written a lot of other books about non-sports topics, but that's a good one. Um, and I also have Inverting the Pyramid. Um, History of Tactics by Jonathan Wilson really helps you understand sort of the the history of how the sport's been played and how it's changed over time. And uh, I got Jonathan to sign that when he came to the house we were staying in in 2010 at the World Cup in South Africa. I think he thought I was a little crazy pursuing him. Well, like I told you when I uh, when I emailed him. By the way, I also love Masters of Modern Soccer. Hey! And the Beckham Experiment. And the Beckham Experiment. <laughs> um... Let's talk about videos out there right now. Last week we talked about the Diego Maradona film, which is absolutely amazing. But there's other stuff that's come out in the last year, uh, especially on these uh, Netflix, on Amazon that are available globally, that um, that has really opened up sort of our window onto the inside of certain teams in particular. What stood out to you? There is so much out there, so much. And if you obviously love this game as much as we do, I really recommend it. One of them, I've done 
reviews for all of them for us, for SI. Um, one of them is uh, Leeds United, the all or nothing one where, again, just like you say, it's a behind the scenes look at uh, Leeds United's last season, just missing out uh, Marcelo Bielsa's first season with the club. Um, it's really, really well done. Sunderland Till I Die, which is, again, a similar um, a similar story. The funny one about this one was I was in Soccer X last year and I talked to uh, their team and this there was no trailer yet. There was no information about this and they were just saying it's coming out in a few months and it's really about, you know, um, the journey of the team and how it was trying to, you know, if you don't know the Sunderland story, the consecutive relegations all the way to League One, um, you know, and the, the documentary was not meant to be about that. It was meant to be about Sunderland's return to the Premier League right. after being relegated <laughs> to the championship. And it ended up being this. And it begins at a cathedral in the center of town. And it's just about, you know, this Rust Bell City and, and how much this club means to, to people in, in the city. And then the last one is actually Sergio Ramos's docu show. Uh, again, it's an Amazon show, uh, and it's you know it has a Bravo TV reality sort of feel to it sometimes, but it's also a lot about this person who love him or hate him. Uh, you cannot deny everything that he's done. He recently just became the most capped uh, international for the Spanish men's national team, and you see just behind the scenes about his life. And he is just such a leading man, and he has a real strong connection to his Andalusian roots. Um, and you see that a lot about obviously his his family with uh, uh, with his wife and his two kids. And it, it's just a because so many projects have been about a team. This one really just focuses on an, the individual, and it's interesting to see see his life. So those would be my ones. What What about you? Yeah, I mean, one of them uh, is one that you mentioned, uh, Sunderland Till I Die on Netflix. Um, just an excruciating thing to oh, watch man. at times, just because you see how important it is to them after being relegated from the Premier League to try and get back up the next season and nobody's expecting that they're going to go down again. And so that part is just difficult to watch. Um, but difficult in one of those things of like, they do treat it in a human way, a very human way. And, and I think it's, uh, it's worth watching, you know, even if it does make you feel uncomfortable at times. Um, but uh, the Man City uh, All or Nothing on, on Amazon as well, I thought was was well done. And, you know, I'm not under any illusions here. I realize that the club is approving uh, the content. Right. Uh, but still, it's you're inside the locker room at Man City. And it's not all uh, shiny moments. You know, they really do look at some of the moments where things aren't going well. And you get to listen to one of the greatest managers that's ever lived. Yeah, there's a lot of Pep Guardiola in there. And in a way that I was, you know, disappointed that there wasn't really any of Bielsa in the Leeds United one. Um, you know, like, um, it's interesting to see Jurgen Klopp come out recently when he saw the Jesse Marsh video with the camera inside the locker room and said, oh, if Liverpool wanted to do that, I would leave. Mm. Because the fact of the matter is Pep Guardiola did that. Mm. You know, who's a, at, a, at a higher level, obviously, than other coaches, including Jesse Marsh. Um, 
and so I, I just find it interesting that Klopp just doesn't really want to do that. Um, yeah. It's his prerogative, but still, I, I enjoyed the the Man City series. And then uh, This Is Football, which came out on Amazon uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, six episodes, good storytelling, looking at the power of soccer around the world through different lenses. And um, uh, there's some really good stuff. There's some great there. things out there. Some great things. I'm happy that all these uh, projects are coming to fruition, and I, I welcome more of it. Uh, especially, uh, you know, I want to see more more projects about the women's game as well. That would be interesting. To see. Yeah, and the second episode of, of This Is Football is about the women's game. Uh, Beautiful. And other ones are about young women in places like India, uh, who are young players, and it's 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 really well done. They had a tremendously large budget, you could tell, uh, yeah. in doing that one. The Sergio Ramos one is interesting because I had pitched Real Madrid about doing a Sergio Ramos story for Sports Illustrated where you could where I would want to spend time with him off the field because this was in the months after his villainous performance in the Champions League final where he caused Mo Salah to get hurt and I thought he would be an interesting person to uh, to get that kind of access to what I didn't realize, and, and they didn't want to do the story, was that the reason why was because they were doing this video. <laughs> <laughs> that happens more and more, by the no, way. No, that happens a lot. Uh, that's happened to me before in other stories and stuff. But yeah, they should just give you thirty percent of the cut or something. Maybe like you're in flip. <laughs> no, it really is a good show. It's good, and he like he does many pro. He takes the uh, responsibility of being a Real Madrid captain very seriously. He has his own web show for the club where he interviews past captains. And you see part of that in the docu-show, his interview with, uh, you know, one of my all-time favorites, uh, Hierro. Um, and, you know, it's just going, giving back advice back and forth. So, yeah, it's an interesting one uh, to watch. I, I recommend it for sure. Hey, listen, nothing's better than Ben Delay Beckham anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> So we also have our questions from listeners each week, and uh, we got a good one this week about Tyler Adams. But Why don't you, you let me ask it, and then you answer it? Because you've talked to him, right? I sent Tyler an email yeah. based on the question that was asked. So, see the effort, Scott C. Miller from New Haven, Connecticut? You asked a question, Grant literally went to the source. I would have just gone on Twitter. He went to the source. You should, you know, I think Venmo him some money or something. <laughs> All right, so here's the question. What is the status on Tyler Adams? We heard that he was back at training over a month ago, but he's still not playing, and updates have been few and far between. Should we start worrying that this is an injury that will impact his career in the long term? Scott C. Miller from New Haven, Connecticut. So I emailed Tyler, uh, who I got to know a little bit when he... Um shot a really cool video with us on Exploring Planet Football Germany earlier this year and forwarded the question. And here's what Tyler wrote back. Quote, I'm in a good position mentally and nearing full physical recovery to make an impact soon. The rest has helped me regenerate and the rehab has been very good to make sure I enter the pitch and team training at the right time. With a lot of games this season, I know there will be a role for me in the team and I am excited to reestablish myself for a big season ahead and continue to develop my game, exclamation by the, point. By the way, Tyler Adams definitely wrote that. If you've ever talked to this person, he is the most mature, yeah. old soul, American male player that I've ever met. Uh, he, he's just so great. Uh, so, w whoa, I wish him well, right? Yeah, I mean, and 
here's what he's saying there is he's going to play this season. He's not far away. His career long term is not being impacted by this injury that he's had. Um, by the way, Tyler Adams, when I did an interview with him, did I tell the story before that he actually brought out a plate of cheese and crackers at his apartment <laughs> in Jersey? This is about a month before he left for Leipzig. See, of course he did. I've never had an athlete do that before. It was amazing. <laughs> I love him so much. 20 years old and he's bringing out plates of cheese. And he was 19 at the time, I'm sure. Oh my God, too funny. Uh, shoot. So- well- we're going to wrap it up here, but we always enjoy talking to each other. We hope you enjoy listening. Uh, if you get a chance, check out the Planet Football TV show that Luis Miguel and I host every week. That is coming out usually Thursday, late afternoon, early evening. You can get to it on Friday. It's free globally in its entirety. We'll have good interviews with uh, interesting soccer people. Edwin Vandersar was on last week in studio. The IX CEO, Manchester United, great uh, really interesting interview about his thoughts on Serginio Dest, what IX is trying to do in America, and revealed his interest in uh, coaching or being a director of football, that type of a role some at some point at Manchester United. That one shocked us. <laughs> we thought he would just say a no comment, and no. Um, he is interested. So he also, even before when the cameras weren't rolling, uh, I was talking to him about my book and my chapter on Manuel Neuer and goalkeeping and how Neuer had said like Vandersar was the guy he followed early on. And it wasn't a German like Oliver Kahn or anything. It was Vandersar and the way he played goal. And then Vandersar like took some time to like show us some technique stuff. Yeah, that was so good. That I was just like, oh man, I wish we had the opportunity to actually get this. He was literally recorded. showing us how his stance, like his positioning. Edwin van der Sar was showing us. It was just great. So, um, yeah, that's it for the show. But thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Have a good one.